Trigger warning. This podcast contains many references and depictions of actual biblical events and satirical articles that often insult the left. This may be disturbing to some people, mainly liberal snowflakes. Therefore, viewer discretion is advised. There is a podcast unknown to man. It is as vast as 20 episodes and timeless as seven months. It is the middle ground between Christianity and comedy. It lies between the pit of man's sins and the summit of his humor. This is the Weekly Encouragement Podcast. There's a monster under your bed. And it's me. All right, enough of that. Let's get on with the show. Plus, I'm a terrible whistler. Okay, here we go. Hello. Welcome welcome to the Weekly Encouragement. Welcome to the Weekly Encouragement, where we are dumb, Babylon B is king, and creepy stories are what we're going to talk about in this episode. Very creepy. <laughs> yes. One that I wouldn't recommend listening to on YouTube. Just yeah, at 10.30. At, in the yes. Yeah. But yes. Very creepy. <laughs> but yes, um, it is our official first Halloween episode slash fall harvest episode that coincidentally falls on the week of October 31st. No, no, um, no, complete coincidence there. Nothing planned there whatsoever. Just a total coincidence. Just happens to be. Completely. What else is a total coincidence is our not random random question, which is... What is your most memorable Halloween costume? Mm-hmm. Or what are your Halloween costumes that you can remember? I think I went oh, as okay. a policeman once. Okay. And then I got real creative that year. <laughs> but the next year I stepped up my game. Yeah. I went as a military policeman. Like red armband or like mm-hmm. red armband. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then the next year I, <laughs> I really don't remember. <laughs> but I think last year I was um, General Douglas. Yes, yes, I remember that. General MacArthur. Where did I get that name? Well, it's Douglas MacArthur. There you go. <laughs> We're on first name basis. General General Douglas. We're on a first name <laughs> basis, but we still add our titles. Rank first name basis. Mm-hmm. 
General Douglas. Let's see. I thought, uh, I thought that sounded wrong, but it sounded right at the same time. <laughs> yep. So I, was like, so I just went for it. Yep. Let's see. Um, I haven't really had any extremely interesting Halloween costumes. Um, first, for most of my life, I can remember I had a shepherd outfit. Yeah. Hmm. Boring. But, um, had like a BDU uniform kind of thing. Um, when you think of camouflage, it's that pattern. Dark brown, dark green. Yeah. Swirly. Globby. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had that for a few years and haven't really done any costume stuff since. For I think Halloween. this year I'm just going to put on my airsoft vest, camo pants, and yeah. a tan. That's what shirt. we should do. Oh, wait, we don't have any Halloween. Have to do it next year, I guess. Darn COVID. Yep. But yeah, next year, that's what we should do. Well, we went through a drive... We went through a drive-thru... Um, Trick-or-treat. I think it was Saturday at oh, okay. Crossroads Christian. Nice. So Nice. I had to put all my stuff on for that. Yeah. What stuff did you put on? Just came up hands in a tan shirt. Okay. Yeah, you can't buckle up properly with that big vest on. Hmm. I guess not. I mean, it depends where you keep. Okay. We are trailing <laughs> off, not aud audibly, but trailing off in rabbit trails. Yeah. It's not even a rabbit trail, it's like an ant trail. <laughs> Bacteria trail. COVID trail. Let's just go with COVID trail. It just goes everywhere. Boom, COVID trail. <laughs> well, I'm surprised this early, but I've got nothing else. Um, do you? I don't have anything. Well, um, so either we go straight into our topic or we stop for a sponsor break, which you guys will know what happens. But we still don't know. <laughs> Fun stuff. Yep. Podcasting gets confusing, folks. Mm -hmm. Oh, the two hour per week sacrifice we make for you? Not even that sometimes. Yeah. But anyway, I said anyway again. So that means it's time for our first, second ad. Yes. Hello and welcome back to the Creepy Encouragement. Yeah, the Creepy Encouragement, wow. Or is it the Weekly Creep? Yeah, the Weekly Creep is better. Well, no, it's just the once yearly creep. It's the yearly creep. Yeah. Hopefully, and eventually, because we plan to do this in the future. And if you guys end up hating this episode terribly, tell us, because that's why we are doing this. This is like a beta test. Mm -hmm. And apparently I'm a fish because I just tried to breathe my water. <laughs> so it is a beta test. Mm -hmm. A beta is a kind of fish, right? I don't think so. Oh, okay. thought a beta was a kind of fish. If you know if the beta is a kind of fish, you can tell us at the random email 405 at gmail.com or what your 
memorable Halloween costumes are. Or it actually is a fish. I thought it was. You can actually own it as a pet. So I thought. Hey, I was right. Wow, who'd have thought that? Alright, so this week, would you like to introduce what we are talking about this week? The Telltale Heart. By Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. If you didn't know that. Right, yeah. So, got this idea from a certain podcast I listen to. It's called The Way I Heard It with Mike Rowe. Um, if you haven't heard of him, he's a semi-famous person. Semi-famous? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Like, he's not, like, that famous, but he's... He's semi-famous. He's somewhat famous. Slightly famous. Mediocre famous. But that's his podcast, and episode 142, he read this story, which is what gave me this idea. So we're going to read it and talk about it. And hope we don't get sued for plagiarism. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right, so... Yes, if you want it to be read much better than the way we're about to read it, you can go to him. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Or you can just look his podcast stuff wherever you find your podcast and find episode 142. So, Edgar Allan Poe. Famous, not so famous, great stories, creepy stories. Depends on perspective, I suppose. But, One thing that, well, I guess we'll get to this later, but according to certain sources, we have a surprising discovery about him that we will get to later. But, so, brief biography, um, again, found this information from that particular podcast is where I found some of this information, so credit given. There. Uh, so he, Edgar Allan Poe was born in Boston in 1809. His parents were actors, but they died before he was two, so sad. Grew up in Virginia with foster parents. Um, moved to Baltimore for most of his life. Um, most people think he was a heavy drinker. Um, he died October 13, 1839. Um, Poe believed that a perfect story should be readable in one sitting, tightly controlled, Highly compressed and with topics that everyone can relate to. I don't think anyone can relate to the Telltale Heart. <laughs> if you can relate to the Telltale Heart, or know somebody that can relate to the Telltale Heart, call 911. Because you might not wake up in the morning. Okay. Um, this particular story was 10 paragraphs long. It was a great example of his writing in some ways. Now, if this is all you've ever read of him, you will think this guy is a lunatic. Or at least his stories are. Well, I mean, it. The guy in the story, in the story yeah, is a lunatic. You know, so. 
I mean, he tries to he he tries to explain to us that he's not right. a lunatic by explaining how he is a lunatic. Right. I'm not yes. a lunatic, but now let me let me try to convince you by telling you how I am a lunatic. I'm not a lunatic. I just smartly and cleverly act like a lunatic. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you will see what that is. It's him trying to convince us. Him trying to convince me that he's not a lunatic is like trying to chase the wind. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So some people think this story is very strange and well it kinda is. Yeah. But you think it's a <laughs> but it's a really great piece of literature because I mean the way he starts off with arguably the strangest paragraph in the history of literature, but soon after he's telling you an even stranger story that somehow just so deeply captivates you that you forget about the premise in a way, just like, okay, so yes, I'm a crazy person. Let me tell you what happened. And it's just really interesting how he's able to get you into the story in such a way that's very... Very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, if you want to listen to this in a way that will creep you out for the rest of your life, we will also have a link to a YouTube video, which is just somebody reading it, but in the creepiest way possible. So, But but he did a really good job at reading it. So Yeah. It's, well, if you want to be scared out of it. The story was creepy. The narration of the story was awesome. So. Well, the narration of the story is kind of what made it creepy in a way. Yeah. Because it's not as creepy as just almost weird and wild. Going back to the story captivating you, it might even captivate you so much that the narrator might be standing behind you with a knife. He didn't have a knife, though. Reading. He didn't have a knife, though. Then how'd he chop off the arms and the head and arms and legs? Okay. Never mind. <laughs> the knife came later, though. He did it with his hands. <laughs> He Judy chopped him Okay, off. let's not get too far into the story yet. We don't want to spoil anything for the two of you out there who haven't read it, which are like our two listeners. So, yeah. So, fun stuff. Yep. But yes, we really want your opinion of how well this episode went, what we should do differently. If you say, I hated this episode, I never want you to even attempt to do it again. Or if you want to say, I hate your podcast, I wish you guys would stop. But. Please don't say that. But. Yeah, but if that's what you think, tell us at the random email 415 at gmail.com. All lowercase. No caps lock. No shift. Just, well, shift so you can hit the two for at, but that's all. Yeah. Keep your hands off the shift keys. Except for once. Which you probably don't have to do anyway, depending on what email provider you use. I guess. But anyway, I said anyway, so that means it's time for us to pause, and you can um, phone buzz. Phone buzz. <laughs> anyway, I said anyway again, which means it's time for us to pause so I can, re with Andrew's great assistance, read you the story in a terribly terrible way. But I'm going to try and read it as dramatic as possible. Okay. I'll be interested to see how that goes. Me too. <laughs>
True, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am, but why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none, passion there was none. I loved the old man, he had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. I think it was his eye, yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so, by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man, and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, what foresight, what dissimulation. I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. At, and every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it so slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening, so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I undid it so, just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work. For it was not the old man who vexed me, it was his evil eye. And every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed, to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. I watched his minute hand moves faster than did mine. 
Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door, little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no, his room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness, for the shutters were closed fastened through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my hand in, and was about to open the lantern, when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I have done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or grief, oh no, it was the slow, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo, the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt, and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise, when he turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy some causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, It is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is nothing but the mouse crossing the floor. Or it is a merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort, comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain, all in vain, because death, in approaching him, had stopped with his black shadow before him and enveloped this victim. And it was the mournful influence that unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern, so I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a simple, dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot from out the crevice and fell full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person. For I directed the rays, if by instinct, precisely upon the spot. And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the sense? Now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. 
It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say, louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder. Louder! I thought the heart must burst. And now, a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once. Once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done, but for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited, deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatsoever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. <laughs> when I had made an end of the, these labors, it was four o'clock still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search. Search well. I led them, at length, to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which the reposed corpse of the victim.
The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But, ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears. But still, they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness. Until, at length, I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt, I now grew very pale. But I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased. And what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such as a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I rose and argued about trifles, in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting, and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no. They heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This, I thought, and this, I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now, again, hark, louder, louder, louder. Villains, I shrieked, dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It is the beating of his hideous heart. Welcome back. Welcome to the recap of The Telltale Heart. Yes. Ugh. Creepy. I hope my dramatic reading creeped you out. Yes. Editor's note. Took several tries on some of those segments to try to get them read. Technical difficulties. Not human error, of course. I would never mess up. No. Ever. No, never. Never, never, never. Definitely not in the human nature to mess up. No. Especially mine. No. But anyway, here we are talking about what we just read. Thank you for those few who still listened and persevered through this episode. Tell us that you enjoyed it, because you did, of course, if you listened to it. (laughs) We both just got a drink of water at the same time. We are so insane. My water bottle crackled and your ice clanged. (sighs) These noises would have... Woken up the old man. Yes, very light sleeper. Apparently. Maybe one of those people has to have absolute quiet and can't sleep otherwise. Yeah. It, it sucks to be one of those people. Or I'll guess I'm, I'm not, so I wouldn't know, but it sounds like it would. Because it didn't really help him. He died anyway, so. His scream was what got him killed earlier than what was planned. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> okay, so. Okay, so when I read the paragraph, um, you may still think I'm mad, but let me tell you how wisely I concealed the body I just killed. That right there should give you plenty of evidence yes. that he is, in fact, crazy. Yes. Um, one thing we are going to save... Well, this is what we saved it for, so... We gave you a brief biography of Mr. Poe. I don't know why nobody calls him Mr. Poe, because that sounds... Yeah, that's, that doesn't sound very good. That would be why. Yep. So, according to Union University of Jacksonville, of Jackson, Tennessee. Yay, Tennessee. Christian University, by the way. Decent statement of faith. Still take this for what it's worth, though. So, April 20th, 2009, a new book by Union University's Harry Lee Howe Poe seeks to correct some of the misconceptions about his ancestor, Edgar Allan Poe. He's generally thought of as a gloomy, dark loner, obsessed with death and that sort of thing, said Howe Poe, the Charles Colson Professor of Faith and Culture at Union University. Actually, he was a rather cheerful, witty, friendly person who enjoyed music and singing with his friends around the piano. In the new book, Edgar Allan Poe, an illustrated companion to his telltale stories, Poe provides some... How Poe, the not other Poe. The author provides some biographical information about Edgar Allan Poe, who is his great-great-grandfather's cousin. Does that make him his cousin, too? Like, fifth cousin? Or fifth time, five times removed, or something. I don't know. I, I haven't looked that much into his lineage. Me neither. I haven't looked at all into his lineage. <laughs> yeah, who cares? <laughs> but anyway, the popular picture of Edgar Allan Poe as brooding and depressed was created by one of his literary enemies, Rufus Griswold, after Poe's death. Poor Rufus Griswold. That's all I need to say. <laughs> Who would name their kid Rufus Griswold? I don't know. The last name you can't really do anything about. Right, until but you're Rufus. 18, but Rufus. On top of Griswold. I feel sorry for him. Though scholars have long since discredited Griswold and the fabrications he created about Poe's life, how Poe said such scholarship seldom makes its way to the public. So, essentially, what this book is doing is popularizing the 20th century scholarship about Poe, how Poe said. In the book, how Poe dis- also discusses some of Edgar Allan Poe's stories and traces his spiritual development. How Poe said, wait for it, wait for it, Edgar Allan Poe, wait for it, wait for it, became a Christian before his death. Wow. It's a story of Poe's spiritual experience and how he came to believe in the God who created the universe and how he came to go forward at a revival meeting five weeks before he died, how Poe said. Mm. The book discusses all of his stories in light of the spiritual questions he was asking. How did he say it? What? You said how Poe said, and then you said something. How? How did did Poe say it? Yeah, sound. But I thought you said how, like how, W-H-O-D. That's, well... Well, if you're me, Hal and Hal pretty much sound the same. So, 
but bombshell wow is it possible hmm. so take that source for what it's worth do your own research on that but something else i found from the edgar Allan poe society of baltimore as you can recall is where he spent most of his life lived most of his life so again all of this just speculation it's not made clear about poe of course it's just between him and God, the Lord whether he's saved or not. But something to think about. So from the Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore, a common, almost automatic assumption about Poe is that he was an irredeemable atheist. As with so many other aspects of Poe's life, however, this truth is far less simplistic. Now, this is not a Christian thing. It's just... The Union University thing was a Christian thing, but this is a secular thing. So take this for what it's worth. Again, we'll link to both in the show notes. So speculation is all this is, but you shall see. Un unfortunately, nowhere in Poe's writings do we find a straightforward and definitive statement of his position on this topic, nor perhaps should we expect one. We are therefore left to divine it for ourselves, those who knew Poe and were quick to recall him as having no religion, such as R. W. Griswold, we mentioned earlier, and J. H. Hopkins, were often themselves quite zealous in their views. Effusive, yeah, effusive enthusiasm was likely to raise Poe's sense of the contrary. Poe loved to startle or surprise and was likely to say something merely for effect. You can tell that by the story we just read. It was a really weird story. But anyway, others assume his position based on the negative evidence that there is no overtly moral preaching and relatively little mention of religion in his writings for the 1800s. I mean, nowadays, he's a preacher, but back then that was normal to, because people weren't so wicked back then, I guess. But some have suggested rather dramatically that Poe's only god was art. Poe's upbringing in this regard, I'll paraphrase here. So his foster parents um, were Christians. Um, his mother was more um, um, actually Christian than his father because, in a way, everybody was Christian in the 1800s. Yeah. Pretty much. Whether so, you were Protestant or... Yeah. Um, There's like technically Christian, but like by today's standards, they would probably not be a Christian, if that makes sense, which it doesn't. But anyway, so he, of course, he lived before Darwin and all that became the thing. So there's that too, but let's see. There was a certain paragraph that I meant to read. Ah, oh, yes. It has also been argued that, contrary to popular opinion, there is a strong sense of morality behind Poe's works. Here, one must be careful not to confuse the views of Poe's fictional characters, including the narrators, with those of Poe himself. The narrator, who has murdered the old man in the Telltale Heart, defiantly defends himself against the idea that he is mad, Poe, however, clearly wants us to understand that the character is insane despite, and in part because of, his protestations. Protestations. Wow. 
He may not feel that killing the old man was wrong, but we, we certainly should. That he is to be hung in the morning suggests that justice will be served. In some versions, it goes a little past what we end, but yeah, it's what that's from. But so anyway, that's something I found while researching this episode. thought that was rather interesting. Yeah. Take that for what's worth. I'll have it in the show notes and stuff. So I found those two articles from looking was Edgar Allan Poe a Christian in Google. So again, take it for what's worth. Yeah. That's all I can say about that. But be, now I have nothing left but for us to just talk about the story. So ad lib. Advertise for liberals. <laughs> Go get a Biden hair sign. Lib flicks. <laughs> yes. Ad lib. Advertise for liberals. Yes. So, now, we have the story. We must talk. Speak. Overview. So, we have a very, very crazy man yep. that killed a defenseless old man. Who might have been crazy himself. We don't really know. Cut up his body. Yep. Hit it under the floor. Yep. And then basically invited cops over. <laughs> Have a little sit down chat at 4 a.m. I guess, kind of. Not really, but maybe. Kind of. If a if cop showed up at your house at 4 a.m., you'd want him out, out as quickly as possible so you can go back to sleep. Yeah, but you don't want to seem guilty. Which, though, I mean, he you just killed, killed a man, so, so I guess... Adrenaline was rush, rushing. Guilty, yeah. Don't want to seem guilty. Which they understand because they don't really want to be there either at 4 a.m. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you just killed somebody at 4... Well, yeah, he just killed somebody. So, adrenaline's got to be r- rushing. Yeah. Although he's insane, so... But still. Yeah. Killed somebody. Yeah. Then cut off his body parts and then hid them under the cut floor. Cut off his body parts, yep. Dismembered. Sorry. Dismembered, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. I hope Anchor or Sounder doesn't take down this episode for cruelty. <laughs> what? Okay, yes. But anyway, so... This is our Halloween episode. Mm -hmm. Do you like it? What should we do different next time? What would a Halloween episode be without saying boo random? Boo! (laughs) The random boo. (laughs) That was the random boo of the episode. The random boo. I was expecting us to have a lot more to talk about than we do, so we might just go ahead and go to the Babylon Bee, unless you've got more to talk about. At least we have more time to talk about Babylon Bee. Yeah. And I don't really have anything to... All right, well, go read it for yourself, is all I can say, and search for other poses. The Raven, things, uh, that's very interesting. Um, I had another one I was going to mention, I forgot what it was, so... <laughs> okay, let's just end this. See you at the Babon B.
Hey, welcome to <laughs> Babylon B slash Not the B. It only took us 10 seconds to figure out that the microphone was muted. Where we confuse you what is real and what's not. Yes. I wonder if Trump listened to our show when he retweeted the Babylon B posts about Twitter. Yeah. Um, shutting down to stop the spread of Biden or whatever. <laughs> yep. All right, let us begin with Not the Bee. Not the Bee. So, California's mandatory requirements for family gatherings during the holidays are absolutely insane. Quote, um, Chris Cohen, or Cowan, whatever, on Not the Bee. He says, Our benevolent overseers in the public in the People's Republic of California have issued requirements for gatherings, which I'll be reading after I read this short paragraph, and they are hilarious, or at least they would be if these insane people weren't actually in charge of the Golden State. Nah, it's still funny. Yeah. <laughs> so here is um, the rules. Number one, attendance. No, um, no more than two households, so your neighbors can't, so two neighbors' families can't come over. That one's a little, I mean, that, you can, I can understand that one. Yeah. Gather um, outdoors. It's fall and winter. I don't think anybody's going to be, no. well, it's California, so it's okay. a little warmer. Yeah. But still. It's Thanksgiving in December. Yeah. Don't attend gatherings if you feel sick, or you are in a high-risk group. Everybody's high-risk at this point. <laughs> physical, practice physical distancing and hand hygiene at gatherings. Not really. It's family. You're going to yeah. be hugging each other and all that fun stuff. Wear a face covering during family gatherings. No. <laughs> Keep it short. Gatherings should be two hours or less. Think of New Year's Eve. I mean, nobody's going to be gathering at 10 p.m. for New Year's Eve. Or 11 p.m. so they can have an hour after to get drunk and all that. Or whatever people do. Yep. I don't know. Yep. I'm usually asleep by 1230. <laughs> but we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be staying under 12 at two hours. Yeah. Okay? No. No. That's just how family works. Thank goodness that's California. Yeah. Not here. Yeah. Well, I feel sorry for people who live yeah. in California. Rules yep. for singing, chanting, and shouting at outdoor gatherings. So basically they say if you're going to do any of it, keep it short, quiet, and wear a mask. Yep. And social distance. Yep. Unless you're at church, then you don't sing at all. Unless it's at a Black Lives Matter rally, then do whatever the heck you want. Yep. Don't wear a mask. Wear a mask. Who shout, cares? Talk. Shout. Chant. Sing. Burn buildings whatever. down. Who cares? It's just gonna. California is just gonna break off from the United States and float off eventually. Yep. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> yep. Well, these earthquakes someday, you know, mm -hmm. seems likely. Or the wildfires might melt the border. Yep. I think I just messed up our volume, so if I just deafened everybody, I'm sorry. But you probably couldn't hear me before, but I haven't said much, so it should be okay. If you didn't hear me for the past four minutes, 
you didn't miss anything, <laughs> is all I can say. Let's see here if I can find another one. good one. You want to read a Bible and B article? Sure. Bernie Sanders on Biden's list for housing secretary due to his experience owning lots of houses. Wow. Chick-fil-A accused of chicken sandwich suppression for long drive through line. AOC enraged to learn long line is for voting and not bread. Hell, what else is on Not the B? Let's see. Okay, Not the B. GoFundMe KOs or locks out campaign to fix teeth of free speech protest organizer whose teeth were knocked out by an Antifa or Black Lives Matter goon. Wow. Wow. So, they took down the campaign that was raising money for somebody who was um, protesting freedom of speech. Yep. Who got his teeth knocked out. Mm. By Antifa. Which is just an idea, by the way. Yes, yes, definitely. Just a hoax. Yep. <laughs> Progressive five-year-old claims cookie crumbs all over his face are part of Russian disinformation campaign. That's Babylon B, by the way, what you just read. It's not yes. the B. If it comes from me, it's Babylon B. If it comes from him, it's not the B. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll look... Now that we mention it, that might have actually happened. It's just... Yeah. They made it up. We've all done it at one point. Sure. Gavin Newsom to go undercover as starts Herky to catch families celebrating Thanksgiving this year. Wait, that's a chicken. After being asked about her socialist policy views, Kamala cackles like the Joker and delivers the most uncomfortable interview ever. That's not the B. Yes. Embarrassed Pope suddenly realizes he's been reading the Bible upside down this whole time. Wow! I guess that explains Latin. Senators vow to hold big tech companies accountable by flying them to D.C. and saying mean things about them. Hillary Clinton, this is not the B, Hillary Clinton, this should be fun, says most Republicans are cowards, spineless enablers of President Trump. Wow. Who would have thought? I knew that would have been interesting as soon as I saw her picture on that link. Yep. <laughs> The official Babylon Bee Voter's Guide. As you know, this election this is, is the most important election in our lifetimes. Experts say it may even be the most important election since the formation of the universe over 6,000 years ago. Experts also say that if your candidate loses and the other candidate wins, democracy and freedom will be destroyed for all of eternity. The only way to stop the apocalypse is to vote as hard as you can and totally own the other side. To ensure success on voting day, be sure to follow these important tips. 1. 
Call Mark Zuckerberg on the phone to ensure you're voting at the right voting place. 2. Binge watch Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow the night before so you'll be fully informed. Look for any candidate with an R next to their name and vote for him so Jesus won't cry. Number 4. Look for any candidate with a D next to their name and vote for them to end racism forever. Number 5. Make sure and write the correct answers on your arms so you can refer to them while voting. 6. Remember, not voting is the same as being a member of Antifa or the KKK. 7. Bring hydroxychloroquine with you and pass it out to everyone so you can all stay safe. 8. Cough all over your ballot so Russian agents won't touch it and tamper with it. Number 9. Go into the voting booth with your wife to make sure you approve of her choice. Number 10. If you are a Calvinist, close your eyes and vote for random people to place it all in God's hands. Number 11. Host a MAGA tailgate party outside a polling station, even if you're a Biden voter. Biden parties are lame. Number 12. If you are made to wait in line for any length of time, scream voter suppression at the top of your lungs. Number 13. Take the time to listen to a woman of color and ask how she would vote, like Candace Owens. Don't let the post office... Number 19. Wait, no. Number 14. Don't let the post office deliver your ballot. Instead, hand deliver your ballot directly to President Trump. Number 15. Bring a basin of water so you can wash your hands after voting like Pontius Pilate. 16. Pray. Or don't. Whatever. It's cool. You do you, Hitler. We hope you find this guide beneficial. Now, it's time to vote and save our democracy from the evil other half of the country. Go get them. I inserted Hitler. That, yeah. mm -hmm. Okay. Hollywood actor outed as conservative after being a decent human being. That'll get you caught every time, Christians. Intelligence experts concerned media may tamper with election by asking Biden questions. This is Babylon Bee. More liberals switching their vote to Trump after realizing he's their only reason for living. <laughs> Chick-fil-A accused of chicken sandwich suppression I read that for one drive-through. Oh, I must have been looking for <laughs> trash. Not the me articles. It, it, it's worth reading twice. It's pretty good. World turns to Christianity after learning there are no politics in heaven. Hero. Man stranded on desert island still obediently wearing his mask narrow-minded, single-issue Israelite won't shut up about opposing ball bail worship. And finally, Democrats propose stopping coyotes by distracting them with decoy roadrunners. After Trump brought Brilliant. attention to the coyote epidemic at the southern border during the debates, Democrats on Twitter are offering unique solutions to the problem, such as setting up decoy roadrunners to distract the coyotes. Everyone knows that a coyote's greatest nemesis is the roadrunner. That's just science, said AOC to reporters. Trump has done nothing to stop the scourge of deadly coyotes smuggling innocent children into the concentration camps at the southern border. We need to do something with science to make it stop. AOC and the squad have partnered to promote legislation that would require large cardboard cutouts of the roadrunner and the famous Warner Brothers cartoons to be placed every eight feet at the southern border. Why not every six feet? Because so they can social distance. Hmm. I mean, they have to. The cardboard cutouts have to have social distance, but why eight feet? Why not six feet? Well, 
don't know. Maybe, maybe they're being extra safe. They don't want any of the runner, red runners to catch coronavirus. Yeah, why not put mask on them? Yeah. Well, it might not distract the coyotes if it has a mask. I don't know. Why is this the first I'm even hearing about this, said AOC. I, like, literally can't believe Trump hasn't done anything about the coyotes. We need to do something now, like this new and ambitious plan to place a million roadrunner decoys throughout the desert. According to progressive legislators, the new plan will cost only $80 trillion and create infinity jobs. <laughs> That's the end of the Babylon Bee segment. You want to tell us how terrible this episode is, or how wonderful it is if you are one of those weird people out there who thinks it's wonderful. Um, that's all we've got for today. See you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Weekly Encouragement. For more episodes, you can look into our archives and subscribe to us on YouTube so you don't miss our episode videos. If you have any questions, comments, ideas for holiday episodes, or whatever, you can contact us at email 415 at gmail.com. You can email us to sign up for our email list to receive weekly newsletters and learn more at theweeklyencouragement.business.site. See you next week. Bye.